We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Roto Grinders today. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Friday, February 16th, and it's a quiet day in sports. Pretty quiet. Only one NHL game, some college basketball. How are, how are we going to how are we going to survive a uh, a very 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 slow uh sports day with the NBA All-Star break? But we got UFC 298 tomorrow. Tomorrow we also got NHL tomorrow, soccer. There's plenty of stuff going on tomorrow but since ufc is coming up we're talking to squirrel patrol the the master of hitting the nuts and uh the squirrel patrols takedowns right we got some premium content for mma hit that like button on your way in the door give me those likey likes right give me those subscribe buttons and give me the notification bells uh john uh 12 12 fight slate tomorrow it's ufc 298 I I think the 299 and 300 cards look amazing. People say that this card is is good, but I don't know. The pay-per-view part of the card, the main card is good and then like all the prelims, it feels like it's a lot like contender series guys. I think for mo- most of the time we see these pay-per-view cards it's a little bit lower variance cuz it's more experienced fighters that have, you know, UFC fights under their belt. We have a whole bunch of like newcomers or or aging fighters and question marks here. So uh outside of the main card, I I actually think this this could be a little little higher variance than we may be accustomed to for a pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be a very high variance card. And I don't think people are going to play it that way. So I think it's almost like a, it, it, this is one of the best cards I've felt like for fantasy that I've, I've ever seen. Um, I was counting through the fighter, you know, so right now, hopefully, you know, stick it at 12 fights, 24 fighters, uh, five fighters making their debut. Um, we've got one fighter, Val Woodburn, who's uh, 0-1 in his UFC career. Every single other fighter on the card, like the other 18 fighters, all have at least one 100-point DK win um, in their in their you know in their UFC career. Um, so yeah, couldn't couldn't ask for more. Like some very like fantasy-friendly fighters. Um, I think there's going to be some high scores, and I don't know, you know the fact that there's so many of the fighters have put up like high scores, and that's all in three rounds. I was only looking at like fights that were scheduled to go three three rounds. Um, you know, so like some of these fighters actually, you want the fight to go as long as possible. You know, because they kind of outscore that thirty points per round or twenty five points per round that you need. Um, you know, to to make up the difference between like a second round and a third round win, or a you know, or a first round second round win. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting card. Uh, and yeah, UFC seems to have planned a little bit better than the NHL, you know, with, with no NBA games, you know, today or tomorrow or whatever, um, you know, and the all-star game, not until Sunday, uh, only one NHL game tonight, but that's just more time to put to our UFC lineups. So let's start uh, with this UFC slate with the, the main event, Volkanovski versus Tapuria, $8,200, $8,000 fight. We normally see Trend wise, I mean, I we take a look at it from a DFS perspective, not necessarily breaking down the fights. That's what Mike and Liam do on the Grounded Bound podcast, which uh, is uh, should be available today for premium members. They'll also be on Crunch Time tomorrow. Uh, but typically, when we have these like mid range five round fights, uh, they're more or less likely that they're more likely to be optimal. And we'll also have that the, the optimal percentages at, uh, for our Sims. That'll come out today as well. Uh, only because they got five rounds to work with and they're only priced at 8,200, 8,000. So a five-round decision, it's, it's you know, it's not that hard to get 100 points in a five-round decision. Uh, this fight is, from a betting perspective, very close, right? Volkanovski is a small favorite. The inside-the-distance lines aren't, like, amazing for a five-round fight. Uh, I'm, I mean, I would lean Volkanovsky just due to volume and historic, you know, I, I view this fight more as Volkanovsky win by decision, a hundred plus points or Tapuria knocks him out in one of the first three rounds and hopefully scores a hundred points. But they're, they're also going to be, I mean, two of the most owned fighters on the slate. Uh, are you, are you, it's a 12 fight card. So it's not 15 fights. So the smaller the card the more that we should be prioritizing the five round fight, I find it hard. I find it hard to build lineups that don't include one of these these fighters. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I kind of I, I disagree maybe with our ownership a little bit. I'd be surprised if Volkanovski is lower owned than Taporia, just being the current champion. Um, and like you know, I feel like Volkanovski is probably a, a bigger name than Taporia. Um, I think Taporia is going to probably win this fight. I, so Taporia is the fighter that I saw in Jacksonville last June for the UFC live final. Um, and he just like demolished Josh Emmett. And then Emmett turned around in December and had one of the scariest knockouts I've ever seen of Bryce Mitchell. Like if Emmett can do that to Bryce Mitchell 
that Taporia can do that to Emmett. <laughs> like, I don't know, Taporia is a monster in there. Um, it, I think it's hard to get away from this fight. I think we've got it for about 80% combined ownership. I do think like Volkanovski might um, sneak above Taporia, but probably by not. Like they're going to be about equally owned, I think, which makes sense. I've got a, it's a closely aligned fight. Um, I kind of side with Taporia on a just eye test, you know, but I, that that's not, you know, really my area of expertise when it comes to UFC or DFS, but, you know, I test, I think Tapori is a, a monster. <laughs> so, and, you know, thankfully both of them are, are high volume. So um, yeah, I think this fight's going to score well. I, I do think there's maybe a possibility that, yeah, maybe there's like an early second round knockout by Tapori or something where it doesn't end in the, where it doesn't score as well as you need to to get on the winning lineup, but like at 8,000, 8,200, it's that's tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's hard to see how this fight doesn't land on the winning lineup. Um, but you know, stuff does happen. I poke something right, like medical disqualification or no contest. Always in always in play. But yeah, a lot of times, you know, we look at the five round fight and go, well, it's you know, it's a heavier weight matchup. There's nothing really special here. And that's where you maybe want to fade the five round fight. This one, that's tough to do. Okay, on the top of the card, though, we have a $9,600 fighter, Rinya Nakamura, facing Carlos Vera. Uh, Nakamura, I mean, not not all that experienced, but Carlos Vera is a 36-year-old regional fighter that, I don't know, they just pretty much got off the street. Uh, Nakamura is a grappler. He also punches. He's also, I mean, he's a he's a good fight. I mean, is, is he going to challenge for the title? No. You know, not at this point, but he's a minus 1,200 favorite, minus 235 inside the distance, plus 115 in the first round. Uh, I have no interest in Carlos Vera at 6,600, but the really the question to me comes in, does Nakamura put up a big enough score to pay off a $9,600 price tag uh, with his r- wrestling ability? Like this, this could be the type of fight, like you mentioned uh, before in, in our intro that I may be more inclined to hope it goes, it goes to the third round. Then, uh, then it finishes Zimmer. Like, uh, if Nakamura has one takedown and ground and pound first round one Oh eight, like it's quite possible that this match, this matchup is so lopsided that I'd much rather see Vera survive and get finished in the third round. And Nakamura scores 150 points. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, Falls Church, Virginia has a population of about 15,000 people. Um, one of them is apparently Carlos Vera fighting out of Falls Church. The other one, one of the other, you know, 15,000 is me. It's world trolling. You know, just sitting here in Falls Church. I keep looking out my window to see if I see Carlos Vera, you know, walking down the street. Um, yeah, I don't, I, other than the uh, hometown connection, I don't give Vera much chance here. Um, I, for this fight, I think it's interesting. One of the things I've really been surprised about when we've come out with our like optimal fighter results, our simulation results, is how frequently our simulations show the highest priced fighter being overwhelmed. Um, like how frequently they show that like the highest priced fighter, especially when there's a gap between the highest priced fighter and you know the next fighter on the card or the next you know few fighters on the card, like that highest priced fighter needs to put up a, a huge score. Um, and like, I, like Nakamura is a good fighter. Like I saw the February, um, UFC card that I guess was his UFC debut was in Asia. Um, he was the fighter on that card that really stood out, uh, got like a very fast knockout. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that he gets even a first round knockout here 
and doesn't land on the winning lineup. Um, like I said, like every single player on this card basically has very high scores in their UFC career. Um, so I'd rather take somebody just priced cheaper than Nakamura. I mean, yeah, it's just there's a lot of ways here that Nakamura can get a really like you know dominant win and still not land on the winning lineup. Well, I want to I want to I want to uh, clarify, not be on the optimal lineup because our Sims go by what's the best possible lineup. And how you decide to play these types of guys depends on the field sizes that you're playing. I want to be very clear on the large content. You're going to play the $25, you know, 200K to first large field contest or even the mini max or whatever. The more entries there are, the more likely the optimal lineup is the winning lineup, right? So in the large field contests, if, not we our bar sims show that you know Nakamura you know is highly overowned. You know, playing him less in the large field contest may make sense, but if you're playing the 555, if you're playing you know something 500 entries or below, you you the winning lineup is likely actually likely not going to be the optimal lineup only because there's only 500 lineups in the contest. So I'd be much more inclined to play Nakamura at 9600 in a small field contest, but not in a large field contest. Remember, our Sims, if you go, if you're a premium member, and you can do that by clicking on the link in the description, getting $10 off your first month. Our our, our Sims are for large field, for the large field contest. So, you know, when it shows that the highest price fighter is, you know, 17% chance of being optimal and going to be 40% owned, like, that's for large field. I'm assuming if you ran Sims for a 500 person field contest, the ownership is a lot more efficient there. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, we've got them at like 50% ownership, and that that seems too much to me. And it's consistent with like you know what other sites are predicting. Um, I don't know. Like he's got about an 85, 88% chance of winning the fight, and we've got a bunch of fighters that have like a you know, two thirds chance of winning their fight. I don't know, like priced, you know, almost a thousand dollars cheaper than. Him. So, do I want to spend a thousand dollars for like a twenty percent increase? You know, in the in the win win odds, um, I'll probably be under the field. It's a scary fighter to be under the field on. I just think he's got to do two things to to land on the winning lineup. It, you know, and yeah, and it, you know, it's important to make the distinction between the optimal lineup and the the winning lineup. Um, and the winning lineup in the large field contest versus the winning lineup in, you know, maybe a 500 person contest instead of a, you know, 100,000 person contest. But uh, I don't know. I, I He's got to do two, thing, two things to land on the winning lineup is he's got to win his fight, which he's almost certainly going to do. But then he's also got to win it with a lot of DraftKings points, which isn't necessarily his goal. You know, his goal might be, you know, to win the fight convincingly and in a dominant fashion, but he could even get a dominant win and not, not land on the winning lineup. So I'm probably going to be, I'm, I'm certainly going to be under that 50% mark. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll see. Well, uh, most of the lineups, I'm assuming that the, the popular constructions are going to be in the mid-range because we have a lot of fighters in the mid-range that have good inside the distance lines. We have Anthony Hernandez, Danny Barlow, Ruggiero De Lima, Ming Yang, Lemos, Right, like all of these guys. I mean, then we have the case with Marab. Marab is is the outlier. Whenever my my projections, my little model that I do in Excel, Marab is the only one that that is the primary one that breaks my model. 
because his inside the distance is plus 500, but his volume and his wrestling is just so, so high that, like, yeah, he doesn't finish anyone. But, I mean, who cares on DraftKings when he has 14 takedowns, 12 minutes of control, and 320 strikes? Uh, I'll still take that. Uh, so a lot of the scoring is in this mid-range. We have uh, high-variance fights also. So, like, to me, the high-range are kind of like higher-floor, lower-ceiling fights. But in the mid-range, I mean, Zhang Yang versus uh, Brenton Ribeiro, uh, they've had 40 fights between them, about. And I think only three or four have ever made it to the third round. Yeah. Like between the two of them, it's a light heavyweight fight. Uh, this is a fight where one guy scores a hundred, the other guy scores zero. And I also see if that's possible in the Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Tafa fight that this fight may not go that long either. Well, de Lima obviously has a little bit more wrestling in his back pocket, but it's, it's heavyweight. And we've seen Justin Tafa, Justin Tafa put out people in the first round. Uh, what are your thoughts on, like, these These are the two, I think, highest variance fights. And then we also, even that Fl Fluffy Hernandez is going to be very popular at 8,800. He obviously has a ceiling. He could wrestle. He's probably going to be close to 40% owned. Uh, he's facing Roman Kopliov, who's a one-dimensional striker. But Kopliov has an inside-the-distance line of plus 210. And Kopliov can knock Hernandez out. Now, Kopliov... It, to get 100 points, he's got five minutes. Like, like Kopliov, like once once uh, once it gets to the second round, uh, you're pretty, he's pretty much a bust. Uh, but this fight isn't, I mean, this is favored to end inside the distance in total also. Uh, how are you handling these, what I would consider the, th the three? I mean, I guess Barlow, Barlow Quinlan is close to fitting. Like, it, it's, it feels like outside of Marab versus Sehudo, which we'll talk about in a, in a second. All of these other fights are. I wouldn't be shocked if the if if the underdog knocked out the favorite in ninety seconds into the fight. I also wouldn't be surprised if the favorite just demolished the other guy, even in a three round decision in a thirty twenty seven. Yeah, um, I'm probably going to try to be over the field on on most of these fights in the mid range. Um, yeah, they they all have the potential to be very very high scoring. I, I like the uh, Hibero Zhang one because uh, there's no no game log for either of them. Uh, but like you said, yeah, like they are guys that are like was it you know kill or be killed kind of mentality fighters that can put up a high score. And so they're not necessarily you know they're not like the experienced fighters on on this card, obviously with no no game log. Uh, but yeah, they they can push you know the the pace. They're going to push the aggression. So that's that generally leads to a high drafting score. Um, so I, that's a fight I'm definitely interested in being maybe over the field on, on both sides. Um, yeah, the, the Danny Barlow fight kind of fits that mold, maybe not not quite as much, um, but still, you know, yeah, I think it's a it's a fight I'm interested in, in being over the field on. Josh Quinlan, you know, kind of eked out the 100 point score in what yeah his first I think first UFC fight uh, or his only UFC win. Um, so. Like, I don't know if Quinlan's really that high volume. Um, and then the, the Tafa, the Lima fight. Um, I don't know. I, I, 
it's a, it's a heavyweight fight, but it, it that kind of fits the mold maybe of a more traditional heavyweight fight where I don't know if it's going to be that high scoring unless there is a first round finish. So I'll probably own it at like close to their first round finish odds. But if they don't, I mean, you know, and uh, was Marcus Rogerio does have some some grappling, uh, but I don't know. Like that's one that might not be as high scoring as some of the other fights. Then how about this Marab uh, Cejudo fight? Obviously, Henry Cejudo, legendary name in UFC, is 37 years old. Uh, I mean, he's not. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he's washed, but he's definitely not the same person he was when he was, you know, winning it all at my uh, at 125. Uh, but he is a very smart fighter, and Marab very aggressive with takedowns and jabs. He does get close. So Hudo, it's, I mean, Marab's gotten hurt before. I mean, the thing about this fight is that you know that Marab ain't stopping, right? Like cardio wise, like Marab ain't stopping. Like he's like, this guy will, this has, has a, has a battery. He could fight 13 rounds if he wanted to. Uh, the question comes in here is that obviously Hudo has name value. So I think he may be a little bit more owned than he should be. Uh, the issue with Cejudo scoring well is that Cejudo pretty much needs a first-round knockout because he's going to be stuffing takedowns so often. You're not scoring points when you're stuffing takedowns. So even if he does stuff takedowns or get back up and, you know, Marab only has four takedowns, like, I don't see Cejudo necessarily scoring very well. But on the other side with Marab, I mean, Sudo, he's smart enough that maybe Marab goes three rounds and only scores 92 points in a decision win, and he doesn't have as much success as he had against other fighters. But I also could put it past the point where Sudo's set 37 years old, and Marab is just way too much for him. And then Marab just smokes him. Yeah. It, this is a really difficult one. I, I honestly don't know what I'm going to be doing with this fight yet. Um, I think Zahudo, yeah, does have a chance to win here. Um, and I, I, it's interesting you thought he that like he might be overowned on name value. I was thinking Marab might be overowned on on name value because he's such DraftKings gold that um, you know, like he's got a 99 point loss in his game log. Uh, like 99 points at 8600 might get you there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like his his fights are always you know so high paced, and that's like that leads to such high scoring. But it is you know it was grappler versus grappler, they can negate each other. Um, anyway, so what if it stalls out? Yeah, so it's got such a wide range of outcomes. Um, yeah, like Marab's with two of his last three wins are over 160 DraftKings points. Um, the other one is like 77. <laughs> um, so pretty wide range there. Um, I agree. Like I, I kind of want to go with Cejudo as what I thought is going to be maybe a lower owned pivot. Um, but yeah, I know it could stall out. I, I I don't know what to do with this fight. I'll probably own Marab at just at his ownership, which I expect to be high. I, I think it'll be probably even higher than we've got projected. I think we've got him. Uh, what do we have his ownership projected at? About thirty percent. I think it's going to be higher than that. I might I might roster him. You know, at the thirty. 35% level. And I, I expect his ownership will be higher uh, just because people are looking at that game log. They know his like DraftKings history. 
Uh, so I, I expect him to be higher owned. I don't know. It's got a wide range of outcomes. Well, I think it's quite possible that it's the fight in total is overrun compared to the range of outcomes. Yeah. That it's I, quite possible that the winner of this fight just doesn't make the optimal lineup. Just like a, a, a third round, you know, third round Cejudo win is probably not, not going to get you there, even at 7,600. And Davalos Bealy, maybe he has six takedowns. Maybe he has seven minutes of control time. He's And he's fighting for control and not really scoring strikes and yeah he'll score 90 like 90 points i'm not i'm not upset with 90 points but and he could make the winning lineup with 90 points at 8600 but you got guys around him like hernandez barlow minyang limos uh, i mean we got there are knockouts here that marab may end up being the seventh highest scoring fighter at 90 points at 8600 and just doesn't you don't need a yeah, I, so I think we've got Cejudo projected at under 10% ownership, uh, just under 10%. I think I probably want to be over that that mark. And I agree, it could stall out. And he could have, he could have a, he's more likely to have a lower scoring win than Marab. Um, still, he needs to, what he needs to do at 7,600 is a little bit less. Um, so I'll, I think I'm going to be over that, that 10% mark or that 9.9% you know, projected ownership. Marab is really difficult to figure, figure out. I think he's going to be way higher owned than thirty percent, um, and but that I don't think he necessarily should be. Uh, like he, it's not like he's a massive favorite here. It's just I don't know. And he, he might be a fighter that I try to go higher on in in smaller contests, right? Because he he could have a high scoring loss that at eighty six hundred doesn't kill you. Like if he gets a sixty point loss, like that's going to be much better than some of these killer be killed fighters right that i might prefer for the larger field contest who i think might be like lower owned in the larger field contest so yeah i, I agree i think maybe i want to be over that 30 percent mark on marab in in smaller field contests where you don't have to be perfect um i don't know like i do think he might be over owned though just on the on the name value so let's go up and down Okay, we got the contrary, the higher price, which are going to be contrarian options. So I'm talking about Elliot, Gary, Whitaker, and Maverick, right? Who are going to be lower owned than Nakamura, lower owned than Anthony Hernandez, right? In between them, right? These guys, these 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 fighters in the middle. Then you also have the value guy, the value fighters, which may be higher owned. So we're talking about uh, Lee, Costa, Neal, and Woodburn on the bottom. Uh, my my takes here. Uh, my I'm typically someone I, I always mentioned that I make my I I've made my biggest scores on backing higher priced female fight the women's MMA fights because people don't like rostering them, especially with higher inside the distance lines. Uh, I'm breaking my rule this 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 week. Uh, I'm much more into playing uh, Andrea Lee on this slate at 7,300 than Miranda Maverick at 8,900. Uh, this fight is the the one that's the most likely to end uh, in in a decision to go the distance. Uh, with who's around Maverick, uh, unless Maverick bulldozes Andrea Lee, I don't see her scoring well enough. And Maverick. Her wrestling success has been a, against garbage people like Cachoeira and like stupid. I mean, people that Shani Young and Sabino Mazo and, 
And Andrea Lee is actually her strength of schedule. She's been fighting decent fighters. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean Andrea Lee is going to win, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that Maverick has a ceiling here. And at 8,900, I'd much rather take, you know, an Andrea Lee 70 point decision win does a lot more for me than uh Miranda Maverick 80 point decision win. Uh, I prefer Lee on, on the bottom and at the top, Robert Whitaker, I think, against Polo Costa. Let's see if this fight even happens, by the way. Okay, Polo Costa uh, has, has pulls out of fights, draw, misses weight. I mean, this guy is not reliable when it comes to that. Obviously, Costa has, like, knockout upside, right? That's his path to victory, just big, big power. But it, he's also past his prime. Uh, Robert Whitaker, it's not like he's the spring chicken either. But the thing that, if you've noticed in his past fights, Robert Whitaker is has developed takedowns in his game that if you go three, four years ago, it'd be like Robert Whitaker, you typically fade in DFS because he's just kind of a stand-up striker, point fighter, has some power, but typically doesn't, you know, necessarily finish people. But he's plus 130 inside the distance against a guy that could easily quit in the middle of a fight. And if Robert Whitaker, I mean, it's not like Costa's good on the ground. So like I think Robert Whitaker, if you want to call it, quote, sneaky, I think Robert Whitaker, I think Robert Whitaker could outscore Nakamura, potentially, yes. as opposed to someone like Maverick or even someone like Ian Gary, who I never, like Ian Gary is a stand-up fighter, unless he, he got, you got five minutes for, for him to get a knockout in the first round, or he ain't scoring 100 points. And then you have Oban Elliott versus Val, Val Woodburn. Uh, Elliott's making his debut. I don't, I mean, he did well in the contender series, but I mean, being a minus 310 favorite in your first UFC fight seems like that's, that's suspect. And Val Woodburn, uh, probably a bad fighter. He's only on the roster because he was the only one willing to fight Bo Nickel on short notice <laughs> and he got destroyed, but he fought Bo Nickel on short notice, uh, would I be shocked if Val, Burn, if Val Woodburn just knocked out Oban Elliott? No, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I mean, I'm more likely to play Whitaker on the top end and Andrea Lee, who will be owned. But taking a shot at Val Woodburn, I, I, I don't think is crazy. Yeah, I agree on the Val Woodburn call. Actually, I think he's going to be one of my higher-owned like, underdogs. Um, he's just somebody I'm interested in being over the field on. We basically know nothing from the Bo Nickel fight. Like, I mean, he he lost that fight. He got you know KO'd in in the first round, pretty early in the first round. It wasn't like a a demolishing though. I mean, he you know he got hit a couple times cleanly. Uh, but Bo Nickel is one of the best you know young prospects that UFC has seen. Um, so like uh, Bo Nickel, you know, is college college athlete of the year. I I think he was like Big Ten athlete of the year at Penn State across all sports. Um. And, you know, he was a wrestler. So, you know, Bo, Bo Nickel, you know, losing that fight, you know, to Val Woodburn losing that fight to Bo Nickel is no, like, no indictment of, of uh, Val Woodburn. So we kind of know nothing about him. I'm kind of interested in being over the field. Like, the, the line seems a little bit wide. Like you said, like, this is a debuting UFC fighter. We've seen a number of these contender series guys be heavily favored and, and lose uh, recently, you know, over the past year. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, and it's obviously, it's kind of a long shot play but um at the price like Val would like Val Woodburn 
could get a high scoring win and at his very low price. Like that's going to let probably land on the winning lineup. Um, I agree kind of with, with the Whitaker Costa fight. Like I'm kind of surprised the Whitaker's ownership so low. Like, yeah, why not Robert Whitaker? Actually, I, I tagged Costa as like one of the underdogs that I'm interested in. And now that I'm like seeing the projected ownership and I, I do think like, it could shake out that way. Cause we need, maybe need some value. Like I might have to reevaluate that tag. I, yeah, and we, you know, this is a fight that um, we want to make sure both fighters like get on the scales and stuff and, and get to the octagon. Um, I don't see like why Robert Whitaker should be like around 20% owned. Like, because I agree, he could get a high scoring win. Like, yeah, there's no reason why he can't score, outscore Nakamura. Um, actually, I, I don't mind Miranda Maverick. <laughs> and I, so I was actually surprised because you started to say, you know, I, I really like playing the high priced female fighters. I don't know, like Miranda Maverick. You know, she's got some grappling upside. She's got some high scores in her in her game log. Um, I think people are going to skip over. I think she's going to be one of the lower owned fighters. We've got her at sub twenty percent, and I agree. Like, why can't like her takedowns are going to score just as well as the the male fighters takedowns, right? Um, so I, I I think she might be a little bit sneaky here. Like, I'm I'm interested in at rostering her over over that uh, you know eighteen or nineteen percent mark that we've got. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see why she can't outscore some of these, some of these other fighters. Um, and in a loss, like she's probably going to put up a high, higher scoring loss than, you know, some of the other, you know, some of the other fighters, right. Some of the killer be killed fighters. So, um, like I, I don't love Andrea Lee in this spot, but I agree. Like, and I think especially for like large, for the smaller field contests, like she's going to put up some points in a loss too. Um, so I think in general, that might be a fight that makes you very little ownership. And I don't think it necessarily should. Um, and I, I agree. I actually kind of agree on the Ian Gary thing that um, like he's a fighter in the mid upper price range that I think could get a win. That's not a, necessarily a high scoring win. Um, he, you know, again, like he does have the hundred point DK win uh, in his, in his game log, but he is like, he's not necessarily going to get a huge volume. He's not necessarily going to get, you know, takedowns, grappling points. So, um, so I, yeah, he's a fighter. I might end up under the field on the same thing with Jeff Neal as a, 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 compared to Andrea Lee, that if that fight is extended, like Jeff Neal could give you a, a 35 points in a loss and like be, you know, for small field contests, maybe like, okay. And if he gets a decision win, maybe it's only, Maybe it's only 70 points, right? These are, these are, I consider more of a, the small field type of uh, value plays. And uh, the only fight that we haven't even talked about, right? Since I figured why not, we've already talked about like literally 11 of the fights is uh, in the mid range, the other female fight, Lemos versus Dern. Uh, obviously, Lemos's path to victory is a knockout, right? Or path to 100 points, right? Uh, is a knockout and Dern's path to 100 points is a submission. I mean, this is fairly straightforward kind of either it's, if it's on the feet, Lemos will probably, it, um, I would say wins, right? Mackenzie Dern on her feet is not, is not good. Uh, but on the ground, uh, Mackenzie Dern's probably the best female submission jujitsu grappler in all of the UFC. Uh, the problem is, is that she can't get takedowns. So uh, if she gets takedowns, she's probably going to score a lot of points. If she can't get takedowns, Lemos 
I think got five minutes for a hundred points. I mean, I side in, in this matchup, like I probably play Dern and be over the field on Dern and be under the field on Lamos. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously Lemos could score a knockout in the first round, but if she has to stuff takedowns from Dern, it gets into the same situation I said with Cejudo that Lemos could win with the third round knockout and not score enough points just because she's been stuffing, you know, takedown attempts for two rounds and not doing much. So I don't know what you're going to do with this fight. Uh, I think the ownership on Dern is going to be higher than 18% though in our, in our ownership. Because she has a, she has such a clear path that people know could score a lot of points in DFS. Uh, it's just a matter of, is she, is she successful in doing so? Yeah, I I agree. And like Dern's last win was over 150 points. So um, I agree. We, right now we've got Lemos projected is slightly higher owned than Dern. Um, I think Lemos about 22, Dern about 19. I'll, I'll probably flip that at least uh, and go over on Dern and under on the most. Um, I, you know, the listening to like UFC, you know, you know, prognosticators, most of them seem to like Dern in this spot. I kind of agree. Um, and I agree. I think she's going to be higher scoring than Lemos. I don't, I think Lemos is maybe a fighter. You want to take a look at the first round implied odds and owner at that rate. And especially at, at like a favorite price tag. Um, well, you know, yeah, she's 8,300. Um, that's not super high, but it's still on this card. I think you're going to need some high scores. And I, I I don't know if she can quite get there. Or like, she seems like, yeah, I agree, like a fighter that might not put up enough at 8,300. Um, so, yeah, probably going to be over the field on Dern. Or at least over what our projected ownership is on Dern and under our projected ownership on Lemos. Uh, Peter Corey has a, has a question from before. What's the difference between running Sims and using an optimizer aren't projections based on sims well they're two different simulations projections are based on like like for mma it would be fight based simulations so basically simulating the fight so simulating volkanovsky versus taporia and then coming out with a distribution of outcomes and that the middle of that distribution is what the number you see you know and as fantasy as the fantasy point you know mean projection the sim labs which we don't have for mma yet but contest simulations are taking lineups that you expect to see in the contest right the large field contest and then running them together so you're running the fight simulations but in the lineup so you're not just running like oh volkanovsky versus taporia it's like well volkanovsky versus taporia as well as nakamura versus vera as well as all of them and then whatever those outcomes are, what are the line of, what are the scores of all the lineups in the contest look like? Right. And then how much, how often does that lineup come in first place, come in second place, come in third place. So the optimal rates that you see on our, because we don't have sim labs. We still have the, the, the sims. We yeah. run sims for it just that you'd have no way of like, you know, customizing it. So that will come out later today. So you will see, we'll say, here's the ownership right? Our projected ownership. And here's the, the percentage of time that that fighter appears in the optimal lineup, right? And a lineup has six fighters in it. So even though Rinya Nakamura may have the highest projection, right? When we simulate the fight over and over and over and over again against Carlos Vera, 
his range of outcomes goes from obviously like zero, right? Gets knocked out in the, you know, by the other, by Vera. And then he has like 170s on one side. Like the middle is 92. But when he scores like 108, when he scores 88, when he scores 104, like he doesn't show up in the optimal lineup because the outcomes of all the other fights make it that he gets knocked out of the optimal lineup. So it's quite possible that it's like, oh, his optimal rate may only be 18% or maybe it's 14%. Yet someone in the mid-range like Volkanovsky, like his projection is 69 in our projections, right? So based on that range of outcomes, his midpoint is 69. Now, obviously a lot of his midpoint is 69 because he loses the fight like 45% of the time. Right. It's not like Nakamura who wins the fight like 92% of the time. So when he wins in those winning scenarios, like he's scoring 90, 100 points. And because he's 8,200, our Sims may show that Volkanovsky is in the optimal lineup 37% of the time and Tapuri is in it 34% of the time, purely based on price. And what does that lineup look like in this contest simulations? So an optimizer, all an optimizer is going to do is, is, do a simple knapsack problem solve of give me whatever that fantasy point median column mean column is and give me as many of those points as possible. But GPPs aren't played by, by mean values. They're played by, you know, high end values and getting six of those in your lineup underneath $50,000 in salary. That's what Sims, that's what the Sim labs, that's what contest simulations help you with. Yeah, and so yeah, just to emphasize, especially like there's like there's heavy correlation in in UFC, right? Because like if if the you know the if in fight number twelve, fighter A wins, then fighter B is probably going to lose and put up a very low score. And then you when you add the salaries, you know that's when things start to get really interesting. And like, well, how often does this fighter win the fight? How often do they win in the first round by a knockout? What does that do to their opponent's score? How often do they win in a you know a third round decision, and what does that do to the opponent's score? Um, and then you like what the simulations do is that they add all of that together, right? And they run the whole card, you know, thousands of times, and come out okay. Well, how often at this price did the you know this fighter land in the top scoring lineup? Um, so we don't have the sim labs for UFC. What we do have is the output of those simulations, uh, which you can look up on a page in the MMA you know, premium. Pretty sure, yeah, it's premium content, but it says an MMA DFS simulation tool, um, optimal lineup percentage for DraftKings. That is tends to be the kind of thing I look at more often than like actually using simulations. It's just looking at the outputs. You know, I, I prefer it in like table form and get an impression of you know, who do the simulations think are overowned versus underowned. I think that information is very valuable. Yep, that's uh, I use that as well. I use that in all sports. Slate IQ. We used to call it. Now we call yeah. it. Now it's Sim Labs based. And I'm assuming at some point uh, over the next couple of months, we'll have uh, Sim Labs interface for uh, MMA as well. But I mean, all of our simulations, we've been doing simulations here, Roto Grinders, for four plus years. I mean, three, four, yeah. almost five years. It's just that we haven't allowed you to customize them in an interface. It's just that we've run what we, but based on our numbers, here you go. Here's the output. And not showing you the actual lineups. Because, like, just to say, it's like, oh, uh, Rinya Nakamura is, uh, you know, 14. Like, like for instance, just, I, just just so you can understand this. Rinya Nakamura, let's just say, 
he has only 14% chance to be in the optimal lineup, right? Well, when he is in the optimal lineup, what do those lineups look like, right? When Carlos Vera, like maybe Carlos Vera has an 8% chance of being in the optimal lineup. Like, oh, uh, but probably not in a lineup that leaves 3,000 on the table, right? So you're saying that all these under, like uh, the, the, the biggest underdogs all score 100 plus points. Like that, that's likelihood is is not is not good. Most likely, Carlos Vera ends up in the optimal lineup when most of the favorites win, right? And he's the only winning underdog. So, like, it's a 50K more type of lineup, not a 48-5 type of lineup. So just looking at the simulation outputs doesn't give you that context. Simlabs gives you that context on... Oh, these are the types of lineups for the Super Bowl. Well, Marcol Hardman, yeah, low chance of being in the optimal lineup, but what do the lineups look like that have McCall Hardman? If you want to play that line, that's what the lineup would look like rather than some lineup that leaves 35,000 on the table where McCall Hardman, yeah, yeah, he's under-owned. But that lineup is horrible. I mean, like, you could you could play all the under-owned fighters on an MMA card and have an awful lineup because their win condition of being in the op being the optimal lineup is just so low because it's like, well, they're all under owned. It's like, yeah, but, but you're leaving 1400 on the table and you're just hoping that, that no one outscores any of your six fighters leaving that. It doesn't matter that all six of them are under owned. It's how it's John. What I always say, it's lineups, not players. Yeah. I agree. Actually, it's one of the reasons I don't love like hard setting a thing to like leave a ton of salary on the table, you know, like in both Showdown and, and UFC, even though it does get you like more like underowned fighters and more like unique lineups. Is that yeah, when Carlos Vera wins or lands on the winning lineup, it is usually gonna be in a situation where you have to use close to the full salary. Um, because that's what enables him to maybe score a little bit less, even you know, assuming he wins. Uh, or like you know, maybe Andrea Lee's a better example. At, you know, maybe three times the <laughs> chances of winning um, that, you know, yeah, she can do a little bit less in a win and still land on the winning lineup because some of the other fighters get priced off, right? Like the Nakamura gets priced off with a 101 point win while he's 9,600. Um, whereas Andrea Lee maybe gets an 88 point win and a bunch of the, you know, bunch of the 9,200, 9,100, 9,000, like all win their fights and get high scores as well. Andrea Lee's like 88, you know, gets on the, on the winning lineup. Um, but like in order for that to happen, you have to be using somewhat close to the the full amount of salary. So like, yeah, I don't like leaving like yeah, fifteen hundred on the table. And that's what Sims would do for you, yeah, because they're simulating the contest, so they're showing you not only the optimal rates of the fighters, but what the lineups that predominantly look like when they they are in the optimal lineup, and that's primarily what Sim Labs would be used for in. NBA and NFL, we have it for PGA. So PGA is probably very similar to MMA. Like, when does the $6,700 PGA golfer end up in the optimal lineup? A lot of times it's when the 12K guy is the one that won the tournament. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then I think like was waste management last weekend, a uh, bunch of the cheap guys were in the, play in the playoff. It was like Charlie Hoffman and Nick Taylor. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Scotty Feffler did well too. So yeah, in order to get Scotty Scheffler, you've got to be playing the the sixty five hundred dollars golfers. Uh, 
Squirrel Patrol's takedowns. Are you having an article for uh, UFC 298? Uh, you're working on it today? Yeah, my day is dedicated to UFC um, because there is nothing else. So, um, yeah, I can get that out probably a little bit early. Um, get the takedowns out. You know, we, we'll have the UFC expert survey out. Um, there'll be crunch time tomorrow for UFC. I won't be on it, um, but it'll be Liam who, like, really knows the fight game very well. Um, Mike Brown, you know, very, you know, H3 Buddha. He really knows the fight game and, you know, the DFS intricacies, you know, very good UFC tournament player. Um, so, yeah, like that'll be worth watching. And, uh, yeah, it should be a, a pretty good card tomorrow. Um, I do hope, you know, weigh-ins will be probably starting in about 15 minutes here. So um, I do hope we stick at 12, 12 fights. Um, but I do think on the pay-per-view cards, we tend to have, like, a better chance of, you know, it's more professional fighters. So, um, you know, more professional type fighters. So they do tend to, I think, anecdotally in my head, make weight more often. Um, so hopefully we do stick at 12 fights. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Give me those likey likes. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to always know when we go live. We got nothing more today, right? There's nothing else. There's no NBA. There's one NHL game. Uh, obviously, use our use our projections for prop betting. I mean, I'll still be putting in some NHL props and some, you know, maybe college basketball stuff for, you know, not much, but uh, there, there, there is there is still stuff going on. Remember, it's the NBA All-Star break. Uh, I won't be here Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, right? Because we got no NBA. There'll be some NHL, but take a break during the, the, the All-Star break. You got the slam dunk competition. You got the three-point shootout. You got the All-Star game, which has features absolutely unequivocally no defense whatsoever. So you could just enjoy yourself out there. And uh, and I'll be I'll be back I'll be back on Thursday. So remember uh, what I John what I always say to people when I'm going to be gone for a day or two or three. I'm not dead. I didn't get fired, right? <laughs> like you have to. Oh, there's no show. Oh, that means oh they got rid of they got rid of him. Oh oh they're the downside. Rota Grinders is downside. Oh he's dead. He's in the hospital. What happened? Like like it's like we're gonna be off. We're gonna be, be off. There's not much going on. Awesome. What am I gonna do? Right. Like you, you people, people may not see you for a week or two, but you're never like hosting a show on a regular basis. So it's like, okay, he just happens to not be on a show. Me, I miss yeah. one show and I get 14 DMs asking him if I'm dead. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully people understand the all-star break. Um, it is, you know, it's one of the you know smallest or like, you know, least amount of sports going on is, you know, tends to be NBA all-star break and MLB all-star break. Um, but there is, I, I think there is some exciting stuff like this weekend. There is, you know, UFC, it's a good UFC card. And, and like they, they priced it, uh, they made the prize pools bigger. Like DraftKings actually did the smart thing, made things a little bit bigger. Um, NHL didn't catch on. Um, but, you know, we still got some showdown golf. I believe there is a big NASCAR race, Daytona, this weekend. Um, There's also so English, English Premier League soccer uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, exactly. So there is still stuff on the calendar. And, like some of these like niche niche sports, like there tends to be a bigger edge. So um, yeah, so it is. I don't know. I think it's going to be a good weekend. So join join me early in the morning for some some soccer contests. I'm in the soccer Discord, so you could you could always mention me there. Rotogrinders.com/slash/discord. I'll see you back next week talking about all things you're thinking about in daily fantasy props and pick them on Roto Grinders today. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.